0: Welcome to Lillipod, Episode 72, Being a Chooser. Jeff and Kathy Tykert. Bringing you another episode of LilyPod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships.
1: Welcome, LilyPod listeners. Uh, to another episode of lilypod lily stands for love in later years and today kathy and i are going to explore the idea of being a chooser of making real intentional choices uh, kathy what does being a chooser mean
0: well you know i think it is taking intentional action when we can And I think it's also the way in which we choose to see our life circumstance. Right. So, for instance, way back when I did not know you, and after 14 years of marriage, my spouse chose to leave, I felt like a victim of his choice and those circumstances because I didn't choose it. And the more I said I didn't choose it, the more I felt like a victim and the more pain and um, extra despair I felt. And I created a lot of extra healing work. Right. Um, Now, I've started recently rewriting the narrative. And, you know, I can't go back and change facts, but as, you know, we've discovered with our FSIBO model, a lot more of what we think are facts are actually our own stories. I can rewrite my story. And the story I now tell is, that is what was best for me. And that's what I would choose over again if I could go back and choose it myself.
1: Right, so it's a choice of how to feel about what happened. And how to think about it?
0: Well, and even to reclaim my choice in, right. in it, which was to, is to fully accept that that was my life path, and that that was the ultimately the best route for me, even if it's not what I originally thought I wanted.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I had the same experience. My former wife chose out. Uh, I didn't get a choice in it. I wanted to keep working on it, and yet knowing what the way things have turned out since then. Uh, I feel like she did me a favor, and I choose to look at it like it was it was a blessing, and it opened up space in my life for a new love, for greater career achievements, for an overall happier life. And it makes me think a little bit about that scripture in 2 Nephi 2, where it talks about how we are designed as human beings to act and not to be acted upon. And I think it takes deliberate choice and intention to act. Uh, To be acted upon, well, that means you're a victim. It means you're you're stuck where you are and it's somebody else's
0: doing. Well, and the choice might sometimes simply be radical acceptance. Right. When it isn't something that we would choose um, because there's some things we wouldn't choose. Absolutely. But radical acceptance is a choice that we can make that will make our healing and our ability to move on much more doable.
1: Right. I mean, let's suppose you were given a terminal diagnosis. Does that mean for sure that you're going to die? Well, no. Uh, It means for sure you have that diagnosis and you can, there are certain things within your control you can Um, eat better, you can exercise, whatever it is that, that you might do to improve your health. There may be medical treatments and so on. You can choose all of those things. You don't necessarily get to choose how that turns out.
0: Well, and if people make predictions about how it might turn out, we don't necessarily have to believe those predictions either. For instance, sometimes a diagnosis might come with a death date. And I know people who don't believe that we can predict that kind of thing. And so if we choose, we could say, okay, well, that's one person's opinion. Right. And let's, you know, just be open-minded and see what happens. Or, you know, let's maybe take some self-care routes that we feel good about and, you know, see if that maybe prolongs life and any every day past that date is a gift.
1: Right. You know, Kathy, I was thinking about, we've discussed this recently outside of this podcast about how Viktor Frankl wrote his book, Man's Search for Meaning after being a prisoner in Auschwitz, which was a Nazi concentration camp. And Dr. Frankel was already a psychologist, and he developed a lot of interesting ideas uh, while he was, uh, you know, a prisoner in that camp. And one of the things he said is that that there is space between stimulus and response; that we're not like a dog that the bell rings and they salivate because they've been conditioned to do that; that that we have the power. Of self-awareness and choice uh, between stimulus and response, and the bigger that space is, the more free we are. And he talks about how the last ultimate human freedom, when when you're in a prison camp like he was, and everything has been taken away—your family, your loved ones, your lifestyle, your home—I mean, go down the list. Right. If
0: anyone ever had the right to feel like a victim, it right. was him.
1: I mean, everything external to you, everything you didn't bring with you within yourself was stripped away. And and he says the last ultimate human freedom was to choose how to think and feel about what you were going through. And he talks about, you know, daydreaming about his wife and thinking about seeing her again. And he imagined himself up in front of big crowds talking about the psychological principles that he had learned in this very extraordinary circumstance. And you know what? He lived that out after he got out of the prison camp.
0: That is really, truly amazing. I've always loved that book.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and the ending of the book is a little chilling. Uh, He said, I think he said, Auschwitz shows us what man is capable of and Hiroshima shows us what is at stake. And he's talking really about the power of human choice to literally destroy the world and wipe out the human race. Uh, Of course, I think he had a more optimistic view of the world than that and believed that we would ultimately make better moral decisions than that.
0: Which is kind of also amazing that he was able to maintain that point of view. And, you know, I appreciate that you brought up daydreaming because I was just pondering this lately that daydreaming, I think, is sometimes what is required to move from where we might be stuck into creating more abundance. Right. Maybe more abundant blessings than we ever could imagine or think possible. It's hard to create something if we can't envision it. And so sometimes that envisioning isn't going to be through personal experience. It might not even be through observation. Although I think that when we can observe people who've had success where we want to have success, that's a good idea. Sometimes it might take daydreaming and creativity in our own minds.
1: I remember when I was in the mission field, a general authority named George P. Lee came to our mission and he gave a talk where he he talked about envisioning and creating a spiritual vision and then working to make it a temporal reality.
0: Mm, yes, definitely. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to say about that?
1: Uh, n- not really. just that 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 kind of vision is is powerful. And then Tony Robbins talks about envisioning what what the good thing is that you have in mind and then taking what he calls massive action. Uh, in other words, not half hearted, half measures, but to really, uh, dive in, dive in mm-hmm. and go all the way with the thing you've decided to do.
0: You know, and we also talked about, um, let's see, the law of opposites Mm-hmm. Which would be, you know, if you're feeling down and um, you know there's things that would help you feel better, but it's like the most distasteful, like, idea, do it anyway.
1: Right. And that could be like going to the gym. It could be like calling a friend when all you feel like doing is isolating yourself. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things that fall into that.
0: Well, I think we have to be careful because sometimes we do need to listen to our bodies and rest when they ask for rest. Um, But sometimes the opposite of what we're tempted to do is what we really need. That's where we can be an active chooser um, to choose what's best for us at any given time rather than do what's easy. Right. Or what we're inclined to do if that's not what's best.
1: You know, Kathy, it strikes me there's something I've kind of been wanting to say uh, that I haven't said that I on this topic that I think goes along with with this podcast and that is the the prominent thinking that I've heard a lot about how the way that I feel about someone else is because of them.
0: Mm.
1: And, you know, oh, that person irritates me or, you know, I can't stand him or her or... You
0: made me mad. Right. You made me feel sad. You made me feel bad about myself.
1: Right. And while there may be people in our lives that we find more difficult to deal with and who have habits or... Ways of interacting with the world that we don't personally like. Uh, no one can make us feel anything, and and this has very serious implications. Sometimes, I mean, I I dated women who would say, "Oh no, he was a good guy, but I just didn't love him," and you know things like that. And I'd be like, "Well, what's going to happen if you if I marry you and?" you just don't love me. You know, the point being the source of your feelings is not inside another person. It's inside of you. And that doesn't mean you have a moral obligation to love everyone in the special way that you do a spouse. But I think it does mean that you got to own it. If you don't love that person and you don't want to love them, well, that's on you. That's not on them.
0: Well, and a strategy in communication is I feel blank about blank because blank, and that's owning your own feelings. And <laughs> I think sometimes we're tempted to follow it up with I feel blank because you did. Blank. Right. But it's really supposed to be neutral. Right. I feel frustrated when this happens because it triggers some trauma response in me or it, because it's not the way I function best or, you know, just things that are more introspective and less accusatory. And that's the way we can communicate hard, harder feelings without creating defensiveness and fighting.
1: You know, Kathy, I, I knew a family uh, and I will not, name names or name where i know them from uh, in the interest of their privacy but they they were converts to the church and they had literally left the hometown where they were both from and changed their names got fake ids the whole thing went into hiding because there was a custody order that a judge had made that the the mom in this family had to allow her ex-husband who had molested the girls to see them uh, unsupervised. And she said, I just can't, I can't obey that order in good conscience. And so uh, she took off with this person's friend uh, and they were on the lam for several years uh, under assumed names. And ultimately they, you know, they got caught and they were able to figure things out. So the girls didn't have to see the abusive father. But the point that I'm, that I'm making is, I, I remember one time the, the mom in that family said to me, you know, I, I didn't really choose my husband. I was forced into the relationship by my circumstances. Well, there's a couple of points I want to make about that. Number one, sometimes the range of choices that you have in front of you is not appealing. For example, if you have cancer, it may be, well, you can get chemotherapy and live a little longer, or you can not have chemotherapy and avoid the pain of chemotherapy, but cut your life shorter. So so sometimes we're we're faced with choices that all seem bad.
0: Although and, in reality those aren't the only choices. There's all sorts of alternative routes and, you know, health, helpful diets and um strategies to reduce, you know, the the growth of the cancer. I mean, I think sometimes we even think we're limited to only two choices right and but but i think what you're getting at is that when you have that kind of diagnosis or that kind of situation or you're up against a divorce or something just distasteful our choices are kind of between many hard things
1: right and and uh so on that point the the woman in that family, it's not really true that she didn't choose her husband. Now, she maybe didn't choose him from a large pool of potential spouses. That was probably true. She probably chose more quickly than she might have been inclined to because she had the necessity of having someone to help and take care of her. But it's still a choice that she made. The second point I want to make is I think that she would tell you that she she and her husband came together out of sheer need. And uh, I don't know how many of you have seen that movie, Love Comes Softly, but there's a a woman who talks to the main character about how she and her first husband loved each other and he died. He was the father of at least some of her kids. And she says that she and Ben Graham came together out of sheer need. And and the main character says to her, I always thought you loved each other. And she said, oh, we do now. Mm. And you get this sense that they came together out of need, but ultimately they chose each other, uh, and chose to appreciate each other. Now the, the family that I'm, that I was talking about, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, ultimately their marriage did not last. But I think if you believe you need somebody, there is no choice. I need to eat. I have to have food. So, you know, I need, to breathe, so I need oxygen. I need air. You know, I don't have a choice to stop breathing other than to die.
0: Although we do have a choice in how we breathe, sure, and how we eat,
1: right? But but and the, who we marry, sure,
0: or the, if we marry for the, that matter, I, that is a choice,
1: right? The idea, though, is. I don't have the choice to stop breathing or stop eating unless I want, you know, unless I'm willing to die. And so I think that's the, you know, that's the idea that, okay, those are needs and I I can't choose a different option than eating and breathing. Uh, That choice is not open to me. And so uh, when I, I think it illustrates the point that sometimes when we come together with someone out of need, like the friends that I mentioned did, and we feel like uh, I need him or her or they need me, well, then if, if they need you, they can't choose you. Because they can't choose out.
0: Well, it might strike your ego, especially if you're codependent and you really like to have someone rely on you. Um, sometimes we really um, grow to almost need that ourselves, if we're, you know, the need
1: the, to be needed. The
0: need to be needed, right? Um, but it isn't. It isn't the choosing we're talking about. And um, I would say that being a chooser is going to oppose codependency tendencies.
1: Right. And, you know, I would just uh, throw out this, this maxim as well, that the need to be needed is a poor substitute for the need to be loved. And, Mm. and I think sometimes we want to be needed because that is an insurance policy. Well, if If I can keep my wife from earning any money or, you know, then she can't leave me because she's dependent on me financially.
0: But that's controlling rather than allowing.
1: Right. And then if she is totally dependent on me financially, she can't really choose out, you know, and I've mentioned this before, but Terry Crews, who's a Hollywood movie star and a former professional athlete, he says that... You know, if somebody leaves your house and they come back at the end of the day, you know, it's because they want to be there. They want to be with you. But if you're keeping her locked in the basement, there's no choice. And boy, is that true. You know, uh, if you're forcing, manipulating, if you're wanting to make someone need you, if being needed helps you feel more secure, you're really missing it.
0: Well, and you don't even really ever know if they would choose you if that's if they are allowing themselves to be manipulated. And here's where I want to say there's even choice in this matter. Um how hard do you fight to get out of that basement? You know, how and I, I even want to question the the notion that if you have no financial means to get divorced, I mean if it's that important and you want to be a chooser and it's you know important for your mental health or well being like then a way will be provided if that's the right path.
1: Right. I mean, it might take you a few months to, to arrange things, um, or you may have to leave and go to a shelter or something. Well, if and it's, that, that bad. it's not
0: that this is it, we're not really talking necessarily about, you know, divorce or staying and working in a marriage. It's just, right, right. we're talking about choosing though. And that sometimes when we think we have no choices, it, you know, if it, if it needs to be a choice, then we can make it a choice most right. of the time a lot of the time. Did you, did you have a third thing? No. Okay. So you're done with that story. Yeah. Okay. So I, I have something I'd like to talk about. Um, so Jeff and I, uh, are certified life coaches and we are currently taking an advanced coaching class and, um, something we talked a lot about in our class today. Um, and, we, and, and, and we're just so grateful, by the way, for all of our coaching clients, because we are learning so much from each of you and, um, and we grow right along with you. And um, it's, it's a sacred trust that we're given to work with people, you know, in an intimate way to um, really be introspective and look at their lives. And, and, and ultimately, our clients are the ones with the answers. Um, In fact, I think we came to earth with a lot of answers inside of us and we call it the spirit. And we use the spirit to find those answers in inside us. And, you know, as as a coach, we guide um, our clients, um, you know, we don't dictate or direct, we just guide them to those their own answers. And um, ultimately, they're the ones with that wisdom inside themselves. And Today, we talked a little bit about um, change and readiness for change and how it's perfectly normal, and I think we could all relate to this, to want change and not want change at the same time. Right. And see, here's where I think we start to feel stuck in our choice making when we want to change, but there's a part of us that holds back for some reason, and we're not quite sure why we're not making the changes we want to, and this is where coaching can help because we can discover and figure out what's in the way and you know start to remove some of those roadblocks um but i i i think what's interesting about you know being a chooser in this instance is to recognize like and be really honest with ourselves about okay what is it that i want to change and why is it not changing?
1: Well, Kathy, you know I can tell you one of my own little stories, and I understand this as an interpretation, but I I believe in my first marriage that I pursued my former wife pretty pretty hard. Uh, I was all in with her, and. I believe, you know, the old saying, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. The, the same thing is true for women, I think. And I think she kind of looked at me like it wasn't really what she wanted, but I was too good to pass up. And I think she believed to some extent that she never really chose me, that she mm. sort of fell into, you know, fell into the relationship. Now, I don't believe that she really did, but that's that's my interpretation and, and, you know, she's entitled to her own. But I think the point I want to make about that is simply don't push somebody or manipulate somebody or whatever to, to be in a relationship with you. In order to have a successful relationship, you need to mutually choose in.
0: You know, and I love that you and I did intentional courtship. Yes. Like before we ever wrote the book and, um, you know, it's the book we wish we would have had. So we kind of created our own processes. Right. Right. Um, But I love that we dated a lot of people and, you know, I think some people might get jealous of that or, you know, feel that that would be disloyal to date a lot of people at once. But for me, I love that you had options and I, I think you appreciate that I had options and that we chose each other. It wasn't a last ditch effort. It wasn't like our only option. And it wasn't that situation where, oh, you're just too good to pass up. I guess I better take it. Right. <laughs> it was an active decision. And I, I think that it continues to be an active decision um, in every marriage because how we show up and how we choose to see each other every day is ultimately what makes our marriage.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. uh, So I think an important thing in being a chooser is not only to make deliberate choices, which we've talked about, and and, and I'm certainly on board with that, but also to honor the choices of others. Mm. Now, If you're a man, I think part of being a man and being a leader is taking the lead in the dating process. That doesn't mean that women can't ask men out for dates too. I think they can. Uh, And many do. But the point I'm making is that if you're a man, that's a choice you can make. And you can say, all right, I want to get to know Sally Jane better and... So maybe I call her on the phone. I take the lead by doing that, right? And I talk to her for a few minutes and then I say, you know, I'd I'd like to talk with you more and get to know you better. Why don't we meet up on Saturday evening, you know, and get a soda or whatever? Well, I can offer it. That's my choice. She can accept or not accept my invitation. That's her choice.
0: Right. And for women, we can drop the handkerchief. And if the man we're interested in picks it up and starts a conversation with us, well, then we just open the door uh, and did something actively to promote a new relationship in our life. But we also have to accept whatever they choose to do with that dropped handkerchief, with that, invitation to engage
1: right friends I'm going to tell you a truth that a lot of people don't want to believe because it doesn't seem very romantic although I think it's the most romantic thing in the world and here it is a relationship does not happen because it's been written in the stars it happens because two people choose it
0: Mm, yep so we're talking about being a chooser and we'd love to hear the ways in which you choose. So you can email us or write a review with, I just, I think this, this concept of choosing is powerful.
1: And definitely subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Right. Remember to choose love and that any time is a great time for more love in your life. Thank you for listening.
0: Subscribe to LilyPod and get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, give us a positive review. We want to reach as many mid-singles and later married couples as possible, so please share this podcast with those you love. To access fabulous free content like written articles and YouTube videos on LilyTube, and to learn about our book Intentional Courtship and Lily Coaching Services, visit loveinlateryears.com.